Welcome to the DPM podcast, where we go beyond theory to give expert PM advice for leading better digital projects. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Oh, I love being managed, said no one ever. And even if they did, certainly no one said that about being micromanaged. So the role of a project manager can be a tricky one. How do we manage our teams and our projects effectively without being a micromanager? And how do we manage teams who don't want to be managed? With the shift to increasingly agile projects and Scrum dictating a product owner role, a Scrum master, but no project manager, what is the future of the project manager? All will be revealed in today's podcast, where we're talking about project managing agile on the sly. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Hoban. Sarah is a PMP certified project and program manager. She's a strategy consultant with more than 10 years experience directing complex multi-million dollar projects and leading diverse global teams passionate about being resilient in the face of uncertainty. Her career is focused on, well, sometimes stealthily, incorporating project management techniques to improve organizational business processes. Sarah is a project management thought leader and author of a weekly blog and podcast that you should check out, The Stealthy Project Manager, and it's focused on project management and productivity. But Sarah, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us your project management story. How is it that you ended up in project management. You're now at Booz Allen, uh, but how did that happen? Hi, Ben. It's great to be here today. Yeah, I, uh, I've worked as a strategy consultant since I graduated college. And like most folks just right out of school, I didn't really know what it is that I wanted to do and discovered that the roles I was put in were project manager roles. And I was just so thrilled about that. It was the most exciting discovery for me that someone would be willing to actually pay me for what I naturally love to do and also do well, which is, you know, making things organized, making them efficient and being a project manager. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty lucky then. I'm surprised. I feel like it's really rare that you hear someone say, like, they knew early on in their career that they wanted to be a project manager. What was it that kind of happened for you to kind of realize or kind of have that epiphany? Hey, I love organizing people and projects and teams. And this is kind of what I want to do. Was there a moment? Well, I'm sure my younger brother would tell you that that tendency was born early on. (laughs) But I would say being thrown into the deep end of the pool on a first engagement and being in front of a client and a group of folks who didn't really get along with each other and having to be that person who did that conflict mediation negotiation role and seeing right away where I could add value was just really rewarding. And I thought, this is great. This is talking to people all day. This is figuring out strategy. This is getting things done and being efficient. It was it was just so much fun. I loved it. Well, that's awesome. It's clearly something you love. So tell us about a bit about the kind of projects that you work on. What yeah, well, yeah, what are you working on right now? So right now I'm managing infrastructure projects uh, for two different federal clients. One is a transportation project uh, based in West Africa, which is really cool. I've got some work experience there, so it's fun to be back in that space. And the other is uh, domestic, and it's improving the facilities program for a major federal agency. So both are really different, um, although they're both infrastructure projects, and the clients are different from each other, and I get to work on a variety of different kind of functional areas as well, which is fun. Cool. So we don't often talk about infrastructure projects. So tell us, explain a bit about what is an infrastructure project? Kind of what's the that whole project lifecycle look like? <laughs> what are you actually managing the delivery of? Sure. Yeah. So the, the one that I mentioned that's in West Africa is actually a road maintenance program, uh, putting that in place for this country. So we're working with local government, with um, some U.S. government stakeholders to do a lot of training and capacity building. So kind of teaching them the elements of what it's needed to stand up a successful road maintenance program. And then ultimately, as a result of the project, they'll come up with a prioritized list of projects that they can then invest in. Um, So that's pretty cool because you get to see how your work 
you know, makes an impact on people's lives, you know, who are involved in the program, but yeah. also people who actually use the roads there. Have you been out to see the project in action? Yes, I've gotten to go twice now and be in the field as well, which is really fun. That's cool. So how's your road doing? Um, you know, it's good. I mean, I, th- I think there's obviously room for improvement, which is why we're helping stand up this program. But We've got a group of stakeholders in the ground that are really passionate about what they do and are really taking advantage of this training. So that's really rewarding to see. That's cool. And so had before you'd worked on this kind of transportation infrastructure, road maintenance, had like, did you have some kind of construction background or how is it kind of managing that? Well, I mean, I guess it's a, a bigger question around the kind of project management that you do within Booz Allen, like you're kind of thrown into kind of very different scenarios. Um, so how do you kind of manage that, you know, very different types of project in different places that you, you're even doing them in different countries? How do you kind of try and understand the kind of lay of the land and all about infrastructure and transportation uh, so that you can manage the project effectively? Yeah. And I would say a big part of that is the team that I get to work with. I'm not an engineer by training, so but I do get to work with some very smart people who are engineers and learn from them and from their subject matter expertise to help us design a project that works. But, you know, in terms of the PMing of it, the more projects that I work on, the more similar they seem to me to one another. You know, there's the same basic principles that all, you know, all project managers are familiar with, you know, the need for communication among your stakeholders, the need to make sure you're monitoring your risks. Obviously, the risks are very different if you're working internationally in that kind of a developing country context than if it's a project here. But at the end of the day, it's really about communication, stakeholder engagement, and just your know-how and ability to work with your team to to get a successful result. So what does your team look like? Tell us kind of who are the key people within your project team? Yeah, so we've got um, kind of a wide range of experience. Um, we've got an engineer who's very seasoned, has many, many years of work experience um, and has worked in this environment before. So, you know, somebody a more seasoned end of their career. Um, and then a couple of bright folks who are out of school or out of grad school who are either have a background in engineering in some cases or a background in law or or international affairs that can kind of bring, you know, a diverse perspective. That's what my background is in as well is international economics. So we've got kind of a, a mixed group of support, but I think that's what makes the team so effective at what we do. So tell us like, what are the kind of challenges? I mean, what's tough for you right now? What are the kind of challenges that you're you're dealing with right now in a project like this? So I think one thing that's challenging for this type of a project is, you know, you're remote from the work. So we do have the chance to travel occasionally to supervise on the ground. But being removed, you do have to trust um, some of the folks who are in country who are doing some of that work, um, which is kind of the other half of of my team. And also protecting your time because there's going to be a lot of different fires that pop up throughout the day. And which ones do you need to be engaged in? And you need to be thinking ahead to kind of the next preventing the next fire a lot of the time. Yeah. So making sure you're really protective of your time so that your team can rely on you for what they need the most. Yeah. So, and how do you do, I mean, how, <laughs> what's your kind of triaging process? Cause I think this is something that as PMs, it's something that we all deal with, right? We have, there's a whole host of fires burning and it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of see which the bigger fires are because of all the smoke <laughs> that's making it really hard to see all that we kind of get a sense of is, Hey, there's, there's lots of things on fire. So what's your kind of process for triaging and working out the kind of the issues that you need to get involved in and the issues that you're going to try and delegate or postpone. Like, how do you deal with that? 
Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously I'm not perfect at this. I don't think anybody is. And there's going to be days where everything's gone to gone away from plan and you kind of just have to deal with what's right in front of you. But I do try to reserve some time um, at least once a week to kind of sit down and, and think through, okay, these are the fires that kept popping up. Why are they popping up? Like, how can we prevent some of these things from happening in the future? And so as a result of that, I came up with a couple ground rules for some things that can help me manage my time better. One is around setting expectations. And I think this is important for, for all PMs to do for your teams. The team needs to understand what things they need to come to you about and which things they don't. So for one of my projects, the one I just mentioned, the transportation project, you know, anything that's schedule and budget related involve me, everything else, micro decision, go with it. Not that I won't have input on it, but I can review it later. Um, It's not something that needs to kind of derail things for the day. You know, for my other project, it's, you know, I have this one stakeholder where I'm sure everybody has that one stakeholder where you want to make sure that you're messaging, you know, perfectly to this person, um, either because they're so important or because they've had issues in the past. Anything where that stakeholder is involved, I need to be involved. Um, So I think it's kind of coming up with what those grand rules are for yourself, communicating them to your team, and then actually sticking to them. That can be the challenge, but kind of committing to stay out of the things that you said you didn't care about. Yeah, no, I think that's useful advice. I'm all, always kind of intrigued and in kind of in understanding people's kind of career trajectory. Mm-hmm. And you said you started off, um, actually, you love this, this PM role. Mm-hmm. But what did you want to be when you grew up? And is, I guess, what you're doing now, how does that kind of reflect on what you wanted to be when you were younger? Yeah, so I think when you get asked what you want to be when you grow up when you're young, you kind of say whatever isn't kind of in the media in front of you. So I think my first answer to that question was a carpenter, which would have been an abysmal disaster now because clearly I'm not an engineer and that is not something that I would excel at by any means. But I think when I got the first handle on what that dream profession looked like. I recall this field trip that we took in fifth grade. We went to a space center and we had to reenact a space launch. And everybody in the class got assigned a role to play in that launch. And my role was the command center operator. (laughs) So that's true. (laughs) That has been fulfilled in what I do now. But I often think back to that experience because I feel like everybody on that space shuttle has a role to play and no one role is more important than any other. So yeah, I am kind of fulfilling my uh, childhood ambition. (laughs) There you are. The command center operator, which I think is actually a, a kind of a good, yeah, parallel role for, yeah, for project management. That's awesome. And kind of like, tell us in terms of, I think it's also interesting kind of thinking about, okay, where, where do people kind of think they're heading with their career? So tell me where in 10, 15 years time, what do you think you'll be doing? Yeah. So I, th- I think I would like to continue to be a project manager, but I see my role kind of morphing in terms of different types of projects that I might work on. I'm, I'm somebody who's always looking to learn and to get immersed in something different. So whether that's a different industry or a different type of work, learning about something new, different region would be awesome. Eventually, I do see myself being some sort of a life coach or organizer as a second career because that's something I'm passionate about in my personal life as well. Awesome. So one one thing I'm always keen to ask people is what have you found recently that's making your life awesome? And I think this is you know an interesting thing to ask you is digital PMs, we've you know, we're using lots of different digital tools. And yeah, are there any tools that you found recently that you think, hey, this is everyone should know about this tool or any kind of hacks that you've been using that are really helping you deliver projects better, manage your teams better? Yeah, so I think um, my answer is actually going to be decidedly low tech. So probably a lot of your audience will be able to 
apprise me probably more than I can apprise them of some of the best tools that are out there. But I have recently discovered the ability to turn off notifications on my phone. I don't know if people know about this, but it's a thing you can do. So, you know, during this podcast, I don't have like 55 notifications of a group text that I need to respond to. I can just deal with that later. And it's great. And it's not a big deal. life-changing. <laughs> there you go. But I guess the key thing is remembering to turn back on again. <laughs> do, oh, you, right. do you ever find that That's I'm something. saying that as I'm seeing someone trying to chat to me right now? <laughs> B, you'll have to wait. <laughs> cool. Well, let's talk about your article. And I think this is kind of actually really pertinent because this week, true story, I had a call from someone who was actually pretty upset. And they were upset because they've seen this seismic shift, I think, that that we can all see that's happening towards more agile projects. And they've basically rang me kind of totally, well, they've, they've kind of lost their hope in project management. And I think this is maybe because, you know, let's be honest, have you ever heard of, of an agile enthusiast singing the praises of their project manager? Agile is all about collaboration. It's about self-organizing teams. And it kind of throws into question a bit, you know, what is the role of the project manager? So this person rang me and they'd been sold this idea that the project manager role is dead. And they were kind of saying, you know, where do we go from here? What's my career come to? Like with an agile team, it's self-organizing. We have a scrum master, if we were following scrum, that facilitates, kind of gets rid of blockers. Uh, a product owner that grooms the backlog. So what's the role of the project manager? And if everyone's just getting on with the work themselves, where does that leave us as project managers? Well, I, I mean, I responded to her and said, hey, well, someone's still got to look at the kind of b- the big picture here. Where's the budget at? Where's the timeline at? What's the scope? There's stakeholder management, there's change management, there's resource management. The list goes on and on, but we're going to park that for an issue. I think the underlying issue we're trying to address, and I think that's what I I want to talk about today, is this emerging role of the project manager in an agile world. How do we lead our teams by exception? How do we empower them to do their best work? And I think I really love Adam Pink's view on this. And he talks about, you know, how we can motivate our teams. How can we take what motivates us, autonomy, mastery, and purpose? And use that to be, you know, a better PM to, to lead our teams better. Now, Sarah, I found, I don't know if you found this, but, you know, one challenge with agile projects is everyone agrees, you know, in principle, theoretically, that, you know, we want to be more agile, that this is going to be an agile project. And one of the kind of consequences of that is often, I feel like the teams want freedom to do what they want. And, you know, they're trying to self-organize. So they want freedom. But on the flip side of that, they don't want responsibility for the outcome of the project or the outcome of the work. Now, I, you know, am I alone in this? Or is this something that you found too? You're not alone. I have found this as well. And I think that's the people say that they don't want to be micromanaged. And I agree, nobody, you know, wants that. And that's where the PM has to come in and walk that fine line between like you said, helping the teams to be free and self-organizing, but also making sure that things don't go off the rails, right? And I think part of the reason why people are kind of shying away from this responsibility is because of human nature. You know, when something goes wrong, you want to blame someone else. Even if it's something that the team together came to an agreement on, you know, the PM can be that scapegoat, especially if you're a client-facing PM and you're you're the one who's interacting with the client. The team may not be as much. The client's going to call you and the team doesn't have to hear it. Yeah. So I think what it comes down to is having to like lead your team to care about the client and the client's wants and needs as much as you do, which can be challenging. But I think there's a way to start to do that. So, well, yeah, talk us through that then. How do you, how do you expose the team to that 
yeah, to care <laughs> and to kind of expose them to the realities of, because I think sometimes our project teams kind of blinkered in their view of the project and, you know, not see the broader context of why we're doing the project or what the project's for or, or that bigger picture. So how, I mean, talk us through how you help yeah. your teams care uh, about the projects beyond the deliverables that they kind of are focused on. They describe a leader versus a manager. You know, the the typical difference that they cite is that the leader is the one who's setting the vision for the project. But I also think that the leader is the one who sets the framework for the project. So especially folks that have been in the, the job market for a long time can kind of have an idea in their head about how things have to be structured and that they accept certain five, you know, the presence of certain fires or things having to be a certain way. But I try to t- turn the heads on that and get them to come together with, okay, that doesn't have to be this way, rushing at the last minute. We can have a structure in place for how we do our deliverables, for how we do our review process so that we're not kind of doing this to ourselves. There's one thing if you're working late for a client, but it's another thing if you're working late because you're disorganized on your own. I think part yeah. of the way that you do that is you get to know your team as individuals, understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, which helps you to figure out how you can really push to them as much work as they can really handle. And I know that probably sounds like, okay, I'm off on the beach sipping a Mai Tai while my team's doing everything. That's <laughs> that's not what it's about, obviously. You know, it's about freeing up your time so that you're the one who can spend the time building that client relationship to get the next piece of work. And I think having that conversation with them about where you're spending your time and being very transparent about that is helpful. So we use a Kanban board to track all of our project activities. And on there, I have all the project management activities as well so that they can see, okay, I'm not just sitting right. around all day. I'm calling the client. I'm writing this proposal, I'm doing this marketing meeting. So they can kind of understand everybody has a contributing role. Um, And I think that goes back to your point about the PM's not necessary. I think the PM, you know, just like that space center in fifth grade, right? The PM has a role just as much as everybody else who's participating in that project has a role, just may look a little different than theirs. Yeah, no, I think I really like this idea that what you're talking about in terms of creating visibility uh, for the things Mm -hmm. that we do. And I think, yeah, so often our JIRA boards, whether or not we're, the project board is is often so focused on deliverables and producing stuff, you know, because ultimately that's what we're getting Mm -hmm. paid to do. The project management is, you know, something that happens kind of in the background. But actually, I like what you're saying about creating visibility for the things that we're doing to help the team understand what you're doing there and the value that you're adding. And actually the the, fact, the reality that, hey, we're the ones that are keeping this whole thing on the rails so that there's work to do. Um, and so ultimately we're you know continuing that relationship with the client. Now, one of the things, I mean, your blog is all about stealthy project management. So t- tell us how that plays into this. I mean, firstly, what is stealthy? Project? Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I actually coined this term for clients, actually, on the client side of things. I've had um, a few clients in the past uh, who have told me, oh, you know, I don't want PM. I don't need that. It's too much work. It doesn't add value. I don't want to pay for it. But the reality is you can't have a project without managing it. So you have to kind of disguise what PM is without their knowledge. So one example I did was I had a working session with them to brainstorm how to fix a problem. And then afterwards, I was like, do you know what we just did there? That was that was strategic planning. Like, that's what you thought that scary word was. We spent an hour and we have a plan. It may not be the most perfect plan, but we've got something. Yeah, I just wrote up notes from that meeting. Great. Here's our charter. And then, you know, later they were grateful to have that charter because they could, when they face budget cuts, they could point to the project and say, hey, this is chartered and signed by the director and and this validates the reason for our funding. So, you know, the value can be seen. It may just not be realized, you know, immediately, maybe down the road. Um, But I think that the stealthy project management piece also applies to managing people. And that's subtle ways that you can empower people to make their own decisions, to learn on the job. Uh, while still moving the project forward, while still making sure that your stakeholders are happy and making sure that you as the PM are continuing to grow the work and grow grow the team. 
Yeah. So let's kind of dig into that deeper in terms of, you know, how is it, what's your advice for managing by exception by not kind of stepping, deliberately trying to give people some slack and giving them some space and only stepping in when you really need to? How is it? I mean, what are your kind of tips for providing opportunities for creating or giving the team the chance for autonomy and mastery? Yeah, and I think there, um, and I talked about this too, a little bit in the article, Um, you know, I think the steps that you need to take, and I spoke about this earlier too, are first, you've got to set expectations, you know, what are your ground rules that for the things that you want to be involved with versus the things you don't, and then, you know, reinforce what those expectations are, communicate them to your team, and then stick by them so that you're not kind of going back on your word and kind of getting in the weeds, because then your team's going to see you as micromanaging, right? And the whole thing kind of comes tumbling down. I think the last piece of that is, is mm. um, you know, the concept of teaching your team to fish. And that's like the metaphor of mm. if you teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime versus teaching them for something for a day. Part of leading, I think, is figuring, having your team figure out how to solve a problem. So one example was, you know, I had a lot of, I'll say probably nitpicky comments and some uh, deliverables we were doing for my project, admittedly nitpicky, <laughs> but, you know, they just kept coming up over and over again. And my team figured out, hey, we should probably make a checklist so we catch all of these things so that like we don't have to deal with Sarah. You know, I didn't say, hey, guys, you should probably think about making a checklist. I kind of let them like come to that realization on their own and they got it. You know, I think the other thing that I try to do is I try to explain when I'm making a comment on something, what's my rationale for it? So if I know the client really well and they don't, I can tell them, hey, I'm picturing the client. He's definitely going to ask me about this and try to get them to view the deliverables from that perspective, um, which I think, especially if you're a more junior employee, you don't always think to do, right? You look at it, it makes sense to you, but you're close to it. So kind of taking that step back and thinking about the audience. And then, you know, finally, I'll try to have them either attend client meetings or, or listen in on client meetings so that they can hear me ask the questions that I should be asking so they can kind of figure out to, what questions to ask themselves, like modeling that behavior. And then the other thing I do, which is maybe is not going to be interpreted as the nicest thing to do, but I do do it. Um, and I encourage other PMs to do it too, is look for opportunities where your team can fail. You know, obviously you're not going to want to do that for the final deliverable that indicates whether you get paid for the whole project. Probably not the time to do that. But I think that there's little things that don't necessarily matter to the schedule or budget. They're not crucial if they miss a day or two or something needs to be reworked for a couple of hours. Give them the experience of what happens when this doesn't go right because they'll learn the next time. And I think part of that Mm -hmm. is really when you're offline, really be offline. Um, You know, I know a lot of PMs, fellow colleagues who will say, oh, I'm on vacation, but you can call me. To me, it's it's just giving the team the safety blanket so that they're like, oh, it's fine. Sarah will always be around if I need something or if I have a question. They have to get used to the feeling like, I mean, I may be, but they have to use the feeling of like, oh my gosh, no one's here. Like, what do I do? It helps them to care and gives them a sense of ownership, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's sound advice. So talking about those kind of things that you, you know, wrote about in your article in terms of our role then as PMs, as, as we're managing by exception, we set expectations, reinforce the shared expectations and teaching your team to fish. So I just want to kind of dig into like setting expectations and, and kind of setting ground rules. Like what are your ground rules for the projects and, and do they change project by project or how do you What's your process of actually setting those ground rules? Do you have a kind of a sit down with the team at the beginning of the project? Or is it something that you try yeah, to kind of inculcate question. over Yeah, that's a good question. And I, they definitely differ project to project time. because there are certain projects where I feel like 
more PM involvement is needed versus others. Um, and that can depend on, you know, how the project is staffed or who the client is or what experience the team has working with that client. So, you know, those can change. And I think some of those types of situations, I like to work with the team to come up with them. So throughout the project in our team meetings, we will kind of formulate what those ground rules are together. So for example, I mentioned for my one project, we have this QA checklist that we use now. We have this Kanban board that we use to manage tasks as a group, but we kind of came to that conclusion together through a trial and error process about what's going to work for us and what's not. For me, I try to explain up front, these are the things that I'm going to be really nitpicky about. One of the things I always tell them is I used to be a technical editor in another life, so I will be obsessive about these details. So you should probably get it right. So kind of giving them a heads up about the things that matter to me, um, but but generally formulating them as a group yeah. and as a team. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So in, let's kind of go, go back to where we kind of started the conversation in time in terms of the emerging role of the project manager with agile projects our teams are wanting to be self-organizing but it's i mean i don't know what your experience is like but i've never had a team that's actually been properly self have you ever have you ever had a team that's been able to self-organize what does a self-organizing team even look like to you yeah i honestly don't totally know what that means i feel like we'll we'll get close and i think if the team is perfectly self-organizing then it would be the most boring job and i wouldn't want to pm it but i think the reason for that is that people aren't perfect so teams never going to be really perfect. They may be able to advance and as they start to work together, develop a rhythm with each other. Um, But I think when you introduce a new team member or um, introduce a new set of circumstances, kind of that dynamic can change and the team has to kind of continually recalibrate itself. So to me, I see that as like a continuous improvement process. I don't think there's like a nirvana of self-organization, unfortunately. Maybe I'm biased as a PM that I feel like (laughs) that'll never happen. I think the PM, like I was mentioning before, is really a part of that team and has has a role to play just as much as um, the other team members do. Because, you know, if if you're a good PM, you're going to be, you know, in the trenches with your team when you need to be. You're going to pitch in where you can lend a hand. It's not all just um, kind of sitting on high, looking down and seeing that things are going the way they should be. So I think that we'll continue to evolve in that direction, but I don't think we'll ever reach complete self-organization. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. And I think it's a nice idea. I think ultimately somebody has to set the vision of the project and make some really key decisions. Like there's always trade offs that we're making as we're managing projects, right? We're prioritizing things. We're deciding what we can expend additional effort or time on. And, you know, you kind of have to draw the line somewhere. And I, I the, the challenge with a self organizing team, in my experience anyway, is that there's this kind of, well, the project just doesn't move. It, it kind of doesn't really get any momentum because people kind of uh, want to be kind of collaborative and they can't quite come to making a decision on something. And so kind of this kind of inertia sets in where people are kind of spinning their wheels a bit, but the project isn't really moving forwards. And so I think that's where I think the role of the project manager can be in terms of blocking in the canvas and saying, okay, guys, here are the parameters we need to work within. And here's when we need to make a decision by. And so, you know, here are the parameters on which within which you can collaborate and self-organize and iterate on. But, you know, it's a really clearly defined framework that we're providing for people to work within to help them do their work better, to help them self-organizing. But I yeah, I don't know what your view is on that. Yeah, no, I think that goes back to kind of the idea of the team leader or the project manager kind of setting the the vision for the project, but also kind of the structure, like you mentioned, for, you know, how the team is going to work together. And I think sometimes breaking that deadlock. And I and I think what could be interesting for the future is, you know, maybe that PM is not always the same person. You know, maybe there's a different mm. kind of appointed decision maker or leader to kind of make sure that you don't run into that classic problem where everyone assumes someone else is doing it. But in fact, 
no one is doing it. Um, I do think you need somebody in that role and, and any team to just make sure you have that momentum. Yeah. So in terms of kind of like a first step for people, like that there will be some people listening who are thinking, hey, well, you know, this all sounds good. Giving giving the teams a bit of a leash, giving, you know, and one of the things you talked about right at the beginning was trusting your team and then setting the expectations, reinforcing those shared expectations, teaching the team to do it themselves and, and problem solve. But, you know, how do you, I mean, what's, what's the starting point? How do you get to that position of, of trust with your team to kind of, let some stuff go. You, you mm-hmm. talked about allowing them to make some mistakes, but it's difficult, isn't it? Like trusting <laughs> trusting your team when your head's on the block if this all goes wrong. So how do you, I, I'm curious to know, just as, as we finish, just how do you, what's the first step for developing that trust with your team? Yeah, I think what's what I've learned in the past and I'm still learning is, you know, sometimes I'll have an issue with a team member and I just, you know, I privately just get so frustrated. I'm like, they're, they're just not pulling their weight. They're not understanding what's going on. They're not, inter, you know, interfacing well with the rest of the team. And I just kind of work myself up. And then nine times out of 10, I meet with them. And then I realize there's like something totally different going on. Like it's nothing to do with any of the things that I thought. It's usually a very simple and straightforward thing that can be resolved within like 20 minutes of talking. So I feel like a lot of that comes down to communication. So while I do try to be as hands-off as I can with my teams, I do meet one-on-one with everybody uh, once a week. You know, it's a smaller team, so I can can do that. So, you know, obviously if you have a a different size project or a very large team, you'll want to stagger that a bit more. Um, But I do try to make time for those conversations. I think also having that time set up helps the team to know like, hey, this is my time with with the PM. So they kind of learn to problem solve in the interim and then kind of come with their questions at once. So again, that helps with kind of managing your time. So not everything is kind of hitting you throughout the day as things crop up. So I think having those one-on-one meetings and, and just getting to know the person, you know, kind of outside of work and that comes out yeah. through that conversation. And then I try to do, yeah. even if it's a small sort of team building thing every so often, even if it's just, you know, last week we had, um, it was somebody's birthday. So we went out and had our meeting over over coffee, which, you know, sounds like a small thing, but like, you know, people appreciate that kind of stuff just to kind of mm. take a step back and kind of interact with each other as people without screens in front of us. Um, so I think, I think it's really yeah. getting to know people on a human level. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's really sound advice. I think so often we can think, Hey, I don't, I don't trust my team, but I think trust comes, yeah, it comes from that place of knowing the person and really solid communication and transparent, clear communication. Like if there's transparency there, if there's really clear communication there, then like that's where we can begin to build trust as we understand their perspective. We understand um, why they're saying what they're saying and we can kind of predict their behavior maybe mm-hmm. a bit more that can really help to build trust. So Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. I think that's been really helpful. Great. I was glad to be here. Thanks so much, Ben. Well, if you'd like to contribute to this conversation about, really, it's about, you know, the future of project management, the future of the agile project manager and what that looks like, well, head over to the digitalprojectmanager.com to comment on Sarah's post. Uh, But you can also join our Slack team, head over to the resources section of our website, Uh, And you'll be able to join the conversation where we're talking about this and a whole load of other things. Uh, But until next time, thanks for listening.